Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We are on the road. We are broadcasting live from our mobile broadcast facility, otherwise known as the Big Unheated Box. Out in the parking lot of the Albrecht Century, it is part of our Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive, sponsored by Capco. I'm going to be here till 3 o'clock today, and then Eric Bilstadt will be out here with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We're proudly presenting Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive, today's toy collection stop. Again, it is the Century in Delafield. You can see us right from I-94, and I think everybody knows the, the drill right now. We are asking you to stop by, drop off a new toy. Matter of fact, there is a table of toys as you walk into the store, so you can buy and donate one on the spot. We also, of course, take cash donations. We raised a couple thousand dollars yesterday in just one hour as part of our Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon. We appreciate it a great deal. This is our last remote collection effort. Um, it all culminates this Saturday. Christmas comes to Capco. Join us to celebrate the gift of giving. They have reindeer. They've got sled dogs. They've got bouncy houses, s'mores, craft food, drinks, toy rooms. It's fun, and it is free at Capco in Grafton. But right now, we're trying to, again, give you one more opportunity, particularly to our listeners in the western portion of our listening area to stop off and drop off toys and we've got some of santa's elves who are they're outside they're they're kind of outside in the elements so um, reward them give them some toys it goes to a very very good cause all right we've got a lot of stuff on today's program let's get started and this, it says a lot about the Milwaukee Common Council. Actually, this is a story first reported on Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the, um, which is a, a website that covers stuff involving the city of Milwaukee. Here's the story. I want to get your reaction to it. There is, there's a hotel out on Park Place. So this is the northwest side of the city, kind of like by Dretzka golf course and things of the like right so that that's the idea and there's a number of there's an office park out there and there's restaurants and there's shops and there's a couple hotels one of the hotels that is out in this area is the comfort suites okay so the comfort suites what they want to do is they want to change the zoning at their their hotel because they want to put up a new sign so that they could advertise their services to drivers passing by. All right, that, Not that big a deal. They want to put up a new sign, but it needs a zoning change. So it's got to be approved by the Common Council. Everybody is cool with this until I'll tell you the story. Now, nobody has an issue with the sign. Goes through a committee, no problem. Gets ready to go to the Common Council, no problem at all. Nobody has a beef with this sign. It's not going to be some garish, obtrusive sign. It's like, okay, fine. We're going to go ahead with the sign. Just a new sign. All right, so then what happens is goes to the Common Council, and what ends up happening is one of the members of the Common Council says, wait a minute, 
I, I've got a problem. I've got an objection. And they say, do you have an objection to the sign? I say, no, no, no. I, I don't, have, don't have an objection to the sign, but I don't think we should allow this this place, this hotel, to have a sign because they have racist policies. Okay, It has nothing to do with the sign. And this is Shantia Lewis. Here's her story. She says, look, I, I, I had a bad experience at the hotel. All right, um, I attempted to rent a room at the hotel with my family after we had a power outage at the house. So we went to the hotel. As I tried to check in, they turned me away immediately once I showed them my ID. All right? So they wouldn't let me check in once I showed them the ID. And so she said, well, what is this all about? And apparently the hotel has a policy that they don't rent to residents of the city of Milwaukee. They've got a no rental policy that applies to individuals residing within 30 miles of the hotel. So in other words, if you live within 30 miles of the hotel, their policy is that they won't rent rooms to you. That, that's, that is the policy they have. So this older woman gets all bent out of shape. This is a racist policy. She objects. Then the other aldermen start objecting, and then the matter gets kicked back. So at least at this point in time, I don't know that the sign, I don't think the sign has still been approved. The sign, of course, has nothing to do with this policy. But you get at least one older person, and now more, who get bent out of shape because they say, okay, this is a racist policy. They're not renting to people that live within 30 miles of the hotel. And the hotel says, yeah, that, that is our policy. We don't rent to people that live within 30 miles. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, why, why is this? Why wouldn't they rent to people within 30 miles? Seems to me they're turning away business. And, and yeah, I guess they are. The reason for the policy is essentially they don't want the hotel to be turned into a haven for drug dealers or prostitution, etc., that, that is their concern. They don't want people who live in the area coming and using, you know, renting a hotel room and then you know, using it again for nefarious purposes. And so the policy that they have, and, and you can agree or disagree with the policy, but the, what they are trying to accomplish is they say, look, we want this to be for out-of-town people. You know, we want, if you live in the city of Milwaukee and somebody's coming to visit you, your family member, we, you know, they're more than welcome to stay at the place. So that, that's what we're trying to do. But we're trying to discourage problems that other hotels have when they have local people who, you know, come in and, you know, we, we can't screen. You know, we can't say, okay, you, we can rent to you or we can't rent to the other person. So they just have an overall policy saying they, they don't rent to people who live within 30 miles of the hotel. And again, their justification is they are concerned about a criminal element. Now, again, you can disagree with whether or not that policy makes sense. I, I don't know enough about the hotel business to know whether it makes sense or not, but it does seem to me that at least it has a, a reasonable basis. So let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. All right, the, the city of Milwaukee, they're, they're now jerking this hotel around because of, of the sign. Because one of the older women has said this is a racist policy that can't be tolerated. Their policy, it doesn't discriminate against Hispanics or blacks or whites. It's, it's just if you live within 30 miles of the hotel, you cannot rent rooms. 
All right, 414-799-1620. Should we be criticizing the hotel for this policy? Should we be hanging them up and saying, okay, we're not going to approve a zoning change that has nothing to do with this hotel's policy? Does this make sense? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, look, I, I just this is one of the things that just makes my head explode when it comes to local politics, where you say, all right, we've got a business. The business has these policies. If you think the policy is illegal, fine. Go ahead, sue them. Try to get them to overturn this or publicize it and complain about it. But the idea, number one, that you're not going to allow this business to have a sign because you couldn't get a room is appalling to me. That's number one. Number two, I think the business should have the right to develop whatever policy it wants. And if it doesn't want to rent to people who live, rent rooms to people who live within 30 miles of the hotel, I think it has every right to do it without having the race card being played. Again, you can argue whether or not the policy makes sense. Maybe it is an overreaction to problems. But I understand what they're trying to accomplish, and if that's the, their policy, I think they have a right to do it. 414-799-1620. Gru is back at the station lining up the calls. We'll be back to take your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner once again. And we're broadcasting live from the Century in Delafield, part of the Capco Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Okay, I know you might be saying, well, Jeff, what not this really just a pretext? You know, they don't want to rent to African-American people, and that, that's what this really is. Well, the story in urban Milwaukee, here's what they say. They have somebody call up, um, try to book the, a room there as a resident of Mequon, and they're told no. You know, we don't do this. They said our policy is to book all room reservation, is to block all room reservations within 30 miles. The Northwest Side Comfort Suites policy is posted on the hotel's website. Quote, this property does not rent to local area restaurants. You must, restaurants, residents, you must live outside a 30-mile radius from the hotel. That's their policy. They are enforcing it. So it's not just directed against people who live in the city of Milwaukee. Again, you live in Ozaki County. You live in Mequon within 30 miles. You're not going to be allowed to book a room for yourself. All right. You can agree with that policy. You can disagree with it. I happen to think it probably makes sense. But I don't think the Milwaukee Common Council should be jerking this hotel chain around over a sign because of it. Let's start with Lisa in Mequon. Lisa, you're first. Hello. Hi there, Jeff. At first blush, I kind of uh, thought, hmm, maybe she has a, a point there. But the question is, why? Why wouldn't they rent uh, rent a room this small? I'm sorry, Lisa, i got to let you go because your cell phone is breaking up. I mean, I, look, and, and I think there's all sorts of reasons why they, they have this particular policy. Again, most notably, I think they're concerned about crime. I think they're concerned about, you've seen this at other area hotels where you have people check in and they're local folks and they, they use it for nefarious purposes. This is their way of dealing with that. And I think a business, just like you have a business that has policies that say, you know, the restaurants, no shirt, no shoes, no service. All right. This to me is that. And as long as they are applying this fairly across the board, I don't have an issue with it. Let's talk to Debbie in Illinois. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? Well, thank you. What do you think? Is this okay? I mean, yeah, I can. Should we rip on the hotel? 
No, I don't think we should rip on the hotel. I actually have a friend that's a general manager of a hotel chain, and they actually have a policy that they don't rent to people within a close radius of the hotel because they find people rent these rooms because they want to have parties and they trash the rooms because they don't want to have the parties in their home. And I feel a private business should be able to have certain rules to protect their business and their property. Well, right. I mean, and I think there's all sorts of reasons for that. Obviously, they have had problems, you know, with, and again, may, I, I'm, I'm thinking like drug dealing and prostitution. Maybe you're right. Yeah, it's, it's people, all right, we want to have this big old wild party at the place, and, you know, we don't, we don't want to do it at our houses, and they're just trying to avoid the hassle, and they don't want to get into the business of trying to actually discriminate against people. No, well, you know, we, we're not going to let you in, but we're going to let somebody else who lives within 15 miles in this is it's just a blanket policy that this is the environment they're trying to create and that doesn't mean that people from further away can't come and commit crimes or have wild parties but it's their policy and i think they have a right to that policy i agree i think they do too i think every private business has the right to protect their own Right. Now, thanks for the call, Debbie. Again, as long as you're not doing it in a discriminatory fashion. Like I say, interestingly, the the story, when it broke, they they called. I think they had somebody call or said, okay, I'm I'm from Mequon. I want there. And they said, no, you know, if your residence where you live is within 30 miles, we don't rent to you. We don't care if you're black or white or green or brown. We're just... We, this is our policy. You can disagree with the policy, but, oh, this is this racist thing. Give me a break. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Jeff, I'm retired now, but when I was working, I had a route job that I serviced all the hotels in southeastern Wisconsin. And, man, you wouldn't believe the mess the locals make in a place, trash the rooms, and they, they'll... The locals are bringing or sneaking kids or friends from the back doors. Pot filling the hallway. Oh, my goodness. And uh, uh, prostitute hookers and drugs. Well, yeah, well, that's. Over. And, uh, yeah, when, so, I mean, uh, no, thank... go ahead, Tony. When the owners, you know, or the, or the managers wanted to kick them out, there was such a brouhaha going that I was actually scared to be in a few of those places. Yeah, yeah, Tony. Thanks for call. I mean, look again. That I, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, you can't generalize, and you can't say, look, anybody that's going to rent a, a, a hotel. I mean, I can think of all sorts of. Re- I'll give you an example. Um, you know, years and years ago, when I lived in Whitefish Bay, we were, uh, we were having some construction work done. And, you know, we, we were, we were going to get out of the house because it was just easier to get out of the house. So, you know, we went to an area hotel for a couple weeks and it was no problem, you know, and it's just, and it was an area, it was a hotel that I think cuts, I mean, I think it, it probably, what, what they probably did is they probably catered more towards, again, travelers from out of the area, but it was close to us. They didn't have that particular policy, and, and we rented the room. Okay, that, that was great. But if the hotel had had a policy, I, I would have understood it. And I guess that's the bottom line. To me, this isn't an inherently racist policy. And this idea, again, that we're going to jerk this hotel around on its sign because we don't like the way they do business. Give me a break. Kathy in Beaver Dam. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Well, I'm sure the policy was put into place for a very good reason, but if these people had explained that they were their power was out at their home and they needed a place to stay, I think the policy could have been overridden for that purpose. I don't think that there's any policy that can't that a reasonable person couldn't say, okay, we can we can uh, bypass the policy tonight yeah. for these people. 
it doesn't have to be an ongoing, uh, you know, we don't have to, uh, um, right. delete the policy. But, no, but here, I mean, right, I understand, but I guess here, here's the problem with that when you start making exceptions. And I, I, I get, it. I'm, I'm one of these guys who say that, you know, the rules are rules mentality oftentimes results, results in just really weird things. At the same time, I, I mean, it's not like there weren't other hotels in the area. I mean, the woman, there's all sorts of hotels that the, that the older woman could and I, I assume did stay at. Uh, so it's, but I guess the problem is if you start picking and choosing, okay, well, we have this policy, but we're going to make an exception for you. Then, then what happens when the next person comes in and you don't make an exception because you don't think their excuses is good? And then if it turns out that the person you made the exception for, say, just say is, is a white person and the person you wouldn't make the exception for is a person of color, then you've got, you know, the discrimination lawsuits. I, so I, I guess I'm sympathetic to the hotel. I'm re- I, I think a reasonable and compassionate manager would have said, okay, this is not what we normally do, but uh, given your situation, we'll, we'll give you a room for tonight. For the That's night, yeah. Thanks, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I guess I, I'm not I, – could, could they have – could they have made an exception to the policy or for for like a one night situation if it was an emergency that and they couldn't find anywhere else to stay? I mean, there's no room, you know, at the end. I, I don't know that that's the problem because, like I said, I think there was a whole myriad. There's all sorts of hotels that that I'm sure that she could and did end up, you know, getting a a room at. So not all hotels have this policy. Could they have made an exception without? opening Pandora's box, you know, maybe. But I'm not going to fault the hotel. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm simply not going to fault the hotel, either for the way they handled the policy or for having the policy. I think they have a right to do it. And I especially think it is appalling that the city of Milwaukee is using its legislative powers to jerk the hotel around on an issue like this. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. So glad to have you with us. Once again, we are on the road today. We are outside the Century Store in Delafield, just off of Highway 83. I can see I-94 as I sit here in our big talking unheated box we're here because it's cap goes kids to kids christmas toy drive again today's toy collection stop is century in delafield i think everybody understands the drill by now what we've been doing for the last several weeks and this is the 14th year of kids to kids christmas we have been collecting toys and then through the auspices of our partners and friends what we do is we some we get these all together on saturday there is a big event at capco in grafton they're going to have a big party they've got reindeer they've got sled dogs and you'll have an opportunity to see all the toys that we have collected uh 26,000 toys last year i'm hoping to get even more this year very special thank you to everybody who participated in our just like mini radiothon yesterday raised a couple thousand dollars for this in any event today is our last collection effort here at WTMJ. I'll be here till 3 o'clock, and then the Wisconsin's Afternoon News Gang will be out here as well. Um, We've got a table that's set up just next to where I am. Um, Also, there's toys. You can actually purchase toys in the store, and you can make the donation. So we make it incredibly easy for you. Again, this is the 14th year of the Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. So... um, we, we appreciate it. And like I say, cash donations are also acceptable. We appreciate that quite a bit. All right. Now, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am 
a believer in police chases. By that I mean, I, I think police, in their discretion, need to have the ability to chase bad guys. And we had this, in my opinion, ludicrous policy for about five years in the city of Milwaukee where, for all intents and purposes, police officers could not chase bad guys who fled from them. The the only times that you could chase was essentially if you had probable cause to believe that a felony had been committed by the people in the car. And the, the reality is, most of the times, you, you don't know why it is that a car takes off on you. All you know is you've pulled the car over, if you're the police officer in the car, instead of stopping, speeds away. You don't know why. You don't know whether the person's drunk, whether the person doesn't have a driver's license, whether the person has a body in the trunk. You just don't know what that is. And what happened as a result of the Milwaukee police policy of not chasing was that I think that the bad guys, the criminal element, understood that they could do whatever they wanted and they could drive away and nobody, nobody, there wouldn't be any body that would follow after them. So you had people that would be driving at 80 and 90 miles an hour. They'd be blowing through red lights. They could do it in front of the cops. And as long as they didn't slow down, the police weren't authorized to chase them. You had a huge problem with rolling drug houses because instead of, okay, operating and selling drugs out of a fixed location where authorities might be able to identify that location and get a search warrant, what would happen is people would just, and it's easy to do with cell phones now, instead of saying, hey, okay, come over to my house on 1234 ABC Street, what you'd say is, okay, you'd call somebody, a drug dealer up on the mobile phone, and they would say, okay, I'm going to meet you at the corner of whatever, and, and they'd pull up or look for a white van. And then what would happen is if the police would see what they thought was a drug deal going down, the driver of the van would speed off at a high rate of speed, and the cops wouldn't be allowed to chase them. It was just pure insanity. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that you always chase and you pursue a chase until it, it, it ends. Because sometimes it's just too dangerous to do it. Sometimes the chase is too long. Sometimes you put citizens at risk. Sometimes it's just not worth it for the underlying crime. And so what you do is you say, okay, we're going to try to catch them later. All right, so I, I, I believe in chases, but at the same time you have to use some degree of common sense. So here is the story from last night as reported by today's TMJ4. Two suspects were arrested and two officers were hurt. After a suspected robbery turned into a nearly 65-mile chase that ended in a crash on an interstate off-ramp Thursday morning, police say. According to police, it all started about 9.30 last night when officers were sent to a Kohl's store in Waukesha after getting a tip that a suspect was going to steal some clothes. Now, let to put this in a proper framework, this isn't that there's been a bank robbery. This isn't that there's been an armed robbery at a coal store. This is a tip that a suspect was going to shoplift. All right? That may become relevant later on, maybe not. So the officers arrive. They identify the suspect. They try to engage with the subject. The subject, from my understanding, refuses to follow officers' instructions and get out of the car. Apparently, he pushes a woman out of his car and begins, again, arguing and struggling with the officers. That's when the police say the suspect, who had gotten back into his car, threw the car into reverse and sped off. As he throws the car into reverse and speeds off, he runs over one officer and knocks a second one down and then takes off. 
right? So that that's the scenario. It starts at the Waukesha Coal Store. My understanding is the chase doesn't start there, right? So this is the incident. The police put out a description. We've got this vehicle. This is what happened. Police say they later found the vehicle in Milwaukee and started the chase. The chase covered nearly 65 miles and went through Cudahy, St. Francis, South Milwaukee, Oak Creek, Greendale, Greenfield, Hales Corners, West Dallas, and West Milwaukee. It went for 65 miles. The suspect was finally caught when West Dallas officers laid down a spike strip, um, which you know caused the tires to go flat on the car. I think ultimately the car ended up, let me see, it ended up crashing um kind of by National Avenue by a freeway off-ramp, by a freeway off-on-ramp. So the chase lasted 64 miles. Um, and again, it was the West Dallas Police Department that put down the spike strips, and that's what caused the car to ultimately stop slash, you know, crash here. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, the pursuit ended in a crash on National Avenue off-ramp from I-41. All right, I'm a big, I, I think police need to have the ability to chase. In this particular case, the chase lasted 64 miles through a number of different communities, ending in a fashion where, well, again, they they caught the bad guys. Two suspects, I guess, taken into custody. Nobody charged at this point in time. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Flip side, though, is this went on for 64 miles. Went on for 64 miles. It started on a shoplifting complaint. And then, of course, escalated when one of the officers got struck by the car. I don't think either officer is in. I don't. I don't think either officer was seriously hurt. But, but again, they were hit by the car as it tried to flee. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Anything about this chase that gives you pause? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They caught the bad guy. As near as I can figure, there was no pedestrians, no motorists, which were injured. But the crash did go for 64 miles through a number of communities on the south and western uh, portion of our listening area. All right, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1244. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Steve is at one side of our listening area. I am out here at uh, the Century in Delafield, right off of Highway 83. You can see I-94, and we are also collecting kids' uh, toys for the Capco Kids to Kids Christmas Drive. 414-799-1620. Okay, the police 64, 65-mile chase last night that started in Waukesha. Was it excessive? I actually think that there's one key detail here that really answers that question. But let's start with Wayne in Wind Lake. Wayne, you're on WTMJ. Afternoon, Jeff. I really appreciate your support, law enforcement. Um, I'm a law enforcement officer in Milwaukee County, and I've been involved in these things. I see them on a daily basis. And how else are we supposed to catch these people if we can't chase? Very hard to prove they were driving or committed the offense unless we catch them in the act. And in this situation, we're not talking about somebody stealing a pair of socks, you trying to pull them over, they don't stop, you terminate the pursuit. They fought with officers, 
they almost ran down officers. They're recklessly endangering safety, so that's a felony in itself. So I believe the pursuit was justified. It sounds like West Dallas did a great job setting up stop sticks. Um, so we, we need to be able to pursue these people. I started my law enforcement career when we couldn't pursue. It's changed in the last couple of years, and you're seeing a trend that the pursuits are starting to slow down. People are stopping, and you're asking, why didn't you take off? And they're saying, no, no, I've done that before. It's not worth it. This now. I'm just stopping, and, I, and that's it. Right. See, Wayne, you, know, you raised a really interesting point early on. I, and I think, for example, if this, if this story were just about, hey, we got a tip or a complaint that some guy had shoplifted some clothes out at a Waukesha cold store, I would, I gotta tell you, I would have said, you went on a 64 mile chase for a guy that's a shoplifter. But that's not what this was. This was, to your point, somebody who ran over a police officer with a car, hit another police officer with a car, pushed a woman out of a car. That, to me, completely and changed and totally changes the character of this. I mean, if you're willing to drive over a cop, you know, what else are you willing to do? It, it again, it raises the ante. And so I I hear this and I say, well, if you can chase them without un- putting an undue risk of danger to pedestrians or to you know other drivers, go ahead and do it. This wasn't just a shoplifter. This was a person who assaulted felony assault on a police officer. Absolutely. And I also read a tidbit, too, that they may have had an officer's taser. I don't know how. So you have to put a stop yeah. to these people immediately. We need the uh, public support in chasing these bad guys, ending the pursuit, and being reasonable with it and in this situation with everything that went down i believe it was reasonable to pursue those people in that fashion yeah no thanks for calling and and i agree and that's why i always argue that you have to look at this stuff on a case-by-case basis that's why when they had when the city of milwaukee had that insane policy a few years ago that essentially prohibited police from chasing under almost any circumstance that, to me, made no sense. Now, I've always appreciated the fact that, gee, if you're talking about going down Wisconsin Avenue at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you, you know, you don't want cars driving at 70 miles an hour on a sidewalk or whatever. You, you have to always make an evaluation as to where are their people, where are their cars, what is going to be the danger that is posed to the officers who will be involved in the chase and to, again, other motorists. In this situation... Obviously, because of where the chase was, because of the time of day, they were able to do it without endangering or at least unreasonably endangering other people. And it wasn't just a shoplifter. It was, yes, it started out as a shoplifting situation, but it escalated quickly. And you have somebody, and let me tell you, running over a police officer with a car, that is a felony. Now, I don't know what the DA's office is going to charge, but now you have somebody who's committed a crime of violence, felony, and they're taken off, yeah, you have every right to try to you know, bring them in. And as long as you can do it and safely, well, okay, then you do it. So this is one where if people see that headline and say, 64-mile chase, what the heck were they doing? Well, all right, they were trying to catch a guy who ran over a police officer, not just a shoplifter. And you know what? At the end of the day, they did catch him. So all's well that ends well. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
So very glad to have you with us. We are once again on the road. We're broadcasting live from the Century location, the Century store in Delafield, right off of Highway 83, right off of I-94. It's the Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. People stopping by, dropping off toys. And the really cool thing about this location is we've got a table of toys right as you walk into the store so you can actually buy one of those and donate here. We make it incredibly easy. All right. Now, here's the deal. I know that there are, there are kids in our listening area. There's kids all across the country right now who are doing this kind of mental countdown, which is how many days do I have until the Christmas vacation or the holiday vacation, if you will. It's, it's like, okay, you know, when, when's the last day and then when do I have to go back to school? All those sorts of things. I, I get it. And that's the typical way that we've done things. You have the holiday break. Around Christmas, you have a spring break for a week, and then sometime late May, early June, depending on what school district you're in, what happens is school knocks off and you have no school for the entire summer, and then you end up going back. And it depends, again, where you live. In some areas, you go back in mid to early August. Most places start after Labor Day, and that's the traditional school year. A number of schools over the last several years have decided, you know, we want to change that up. And there's been major adjustments to the school calendar, namely going to a year-round school system. Now, that doesn't mean that the students are in session 12 months out of the year. But what it means is the school is in session 12 months out of the year, and the breaks, instead of having a, a two-month break or a two-and-a-half-month break during the summer, you get those breaks, but it's spread out during the course of the year. So maybe you'll have, like, two weeks off now, then you go to school for a month and a half, then you have another two weeks off. It's spaced out over the course of the year. The rationale for doing this is essentially that, you, you don't want to have that learning gap that occurs for at least some kids that when they, they stop going to school early June and then they just for June and July and a good portion of August, they're, they're not for a lot of kids. They're not reading. They're not doing their math. They're just they kind of forget everything about school. And then you start over when you go back in late August or you can go in September. The idea being that if you have a year-round school system, what you do is you keep the kids more active, more engaged, and you have that less of that long break that's there. Now, I bring this up because this has become very, very controversial. It's especially become controversial with parents who like the traditional summer break. And really, regardless of whether or not it enhances learning, they say, hey, we like to have the kids off during the summer as opposed to shorter vacations during the course of the year. I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal. There's a school district in Raleigh, North Carolina, that is bucking this change. School systems nationwide, I guess, have been moving away Those that have adopted the year-round school calendars, they've been moving away. The schools in Raleigh, however, they're saying, hey, this is exactly what we want to do. We want to go the other way. We believe that what this does is it encourages learning, and we think it's best to have the kids in school year-round, quote-unquote. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this is easy for me to say because I am a long way removed from grade school or from high school. 
But, you know, I just remember when I was a kid, and I, I appreciate summer break. I always thought that summer break was way too long. And I have to tell you that by the time... By the time you know early August rolled around, sometimes even late July rolled around, I was ready to go back to school. Now, I understand that doing year-round school kind of screws up some of the summer plans, for example, makes it more difficult for kids to, for example, work full-time during the summer. But the truth is there's not that many kids that work full-time during the summer at summer jobs anyways. So let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you rather see kids go to school year-round? And, again, that's somewhat misleading. It's not They're not going to be in session 12 months out of the year. But scatter the breaks so you don't have three months off at a time. Maybe you have two weeks off at a time. Do you think that would have made you a better student? Do you think it would have made your kids better students? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, you know, you look at these educational studies, and the numbers, you can find somebody that says it makes a big difference. You can find some studies that say it doesn't make any difference at all. Intuitively, it does seem to me that it facilitates learning if you don't have this huge gap. It also creates an inconvenience. What's more important? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Again, we're broadcasting live. We're outside the Century Store in Delafield as part of Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Collection Campaign. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're talking about year-round school. This was an idea that really took off about a decade ago. Lots of school districts adopted it. Some are backing off. Some, like the school district I'm talking about in Raleigh, North Carolina, they're blasting ahead with it. Do you think this would be a good idea? 414-799-1620. Tommy and Slinger. Tommy, you're first. Good afternoon. Hello. um, Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. I see, I see uh, some value in in school all year round because I, I've noticed even in my own school and the amount of information I forget um, in in the three months of summer or whatever it is, and we spend the first month and a half of school kind of catching back up or getting back into it. But right. I think I think the flaw in the idea is the school is kind of underestimating the value of, or the lessons that kids can learn in the summer as well. I I think of my own childhood and. Some of the the biggest life lessons I had were on family trips camping, you know, um, or sports baseball tournaments on the weekends. And I don't think school can offer a lot of those life lessons if they like they. Well, but let me ask you this. I mean, I I mean, I guess it's it's just because you have year round school doesn't mean you're not going to have vacation times. I mean, you're going you're going to have some time off during the summer. You're just not going to have three months off during the summer. So, if you know that, for example. You're going to have a three-week break um, in in July, for example. Couldn't you still schedule the family camping trips for then? You know, that's a that's a good point. I guess uh, just looking back at how we did it, it's hard for me to put my past experiences into what it would look like. But yeah, you make a good point there as well. You got it. Hey, are you, uh, Tommy? Are you a golfer? Or do you know somebody who is a golfer? Well, I am a golfer. Yes. Okay, well, tell you what, I have, we're in the middle of our 12 days of Sticksmas. It's the Sticks Golf uh, Facility in uh, Germantown. I've got a $25 gift certificate. Merry Christmas. I want to give it to you, okay? 
Well, thank you very much, and Merry Christmas to you as well. Merry Christmas, Tommy. Okay, my producer who's back, we're going to put you on hold. You might have to wait just a couple minutes because he's got a lot going on back there, but he's going to put you on hold and get your information. Yeah, that's, by the way, we're, we're doing this um, Sticks Golf Bar in Germantown, perfect golf getaway. It's uh, the 12 days of Sticksmas. Every day I'm going to be picking one random caller. Tommy was the caller today, gets a $25 gift card to Sticks, which is a virtual reality golf bar. It's really, really cool. And, um, we're going to have a grand prize drawing, though I think it's the, the week of Christmas, I believe, is what the date is. And somebody's going to get a membership for two in one of their Sticks golf leagues. I'm playing in one of those this year. Okay, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rosie, who's calling us from Illinois. Rosie, you're on WTMJ. Hey there. How are you? I've called in before. You guys are great. I love TMJ. I'm born and raised in Milwaukee. Okay? Well, so, thank you. Former- so you ended, up, you ended up locating in Illinois, though, huh? Unfortunately, I cringe when I think my children say they're from Illinois. God help them! Oh, geez. But anyway, okay. okay tell me, you're so, a pack? Are you? You're, wait, you're a Packers fan, right? Absolutely. This Sunday is critical. We have to win and win well. Ah. Oh. Okay. okay. But anyway, okay. <laughs> first thing first. Uh, public schools? No, homeschool. Uh, year-round school. All right. Um, as a former classroom public school teacher, I really think there is value in the year-round school concept, and there's one school here in the, uh, the Rockford that does it, and it's the only one in the area that I know of. Perhaps they have in the Chicago area, but I don't know. The value of it, the former, the other, the previous caller was talking about family vacations and camping trips and things like that. I'm all for that, too, because what you, if you can have two or three weeks off in between sessions, you have that time to make family time, um, yeah. But the children, that first semester, when you come back in September, when you come back in September, between September and November, your teacher um, is spending a lot of time getting to know your strengths. You, what, what, you know, they have, yes, they have the paperwork from the previous year from the other teacher who you had last year. But you, that teacher, mm-hmm. each teacher needs to get to know what are you strong at, what are you doing well in. And if you have homeschool, kids forget so much in the summertime. I keep saying homeschool. If you have year-round school, kids forget so much in the, in the during the summer. People think they don't, but they actually do. And I taught from preschool to third grade. If you had year-round school, there would be less forgetting, less west, wasting time in the fall with that new teacher trying to figure out what are your strong points and what you need right. help with. I really think right. it's hey, not th- a bad thing. Yeah, no, thanks for call, Rosie. I, I, see, I, I mean, I... I I, I, look, I, I appreciate vacations, too. At the same time, as long as you have set schedules and you say, okay, we know we're going to have three weeks in, in July, for example. It's, it's, it's kind of like nowadays where, you know, if you, you, know, you want to travel with your family, you've got small kids, you build your vacation time around, okay, spring break is the week of whatever. It's the week before Easter. It's the week after Easter, whatever. You know that, and so you build your vacation around it. I, I don't know... I don't understand why you you couldn't do that, um, but at the same, I mean, at the same time, look, I understand it's going to be more conven- inconvenient. I, I also be, because there is that lack of knowledge. My guess is the first couple weeks of a new year, you probably got to spend it doing what I'm going to describe as remedial stuff. Okay, so you've got the math class. And because you've been away from it for three months, my guess is the first few weeks at least of the new math class is spent going over the concepts that you taught, okay, the last couple months of, of the last semester. Um, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Barry in Brookfield. Barry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hey, Jeff. Uh, we Hi, Barry. This. I, went to, I went to school in uh, kind of a western suburb of Chicago uh, back in the 70s. We did this. We called it the uh, 45-15 plan. So you went to school for nine months. You're, I mean, nine weeks, you're off for three weeks. Nine weeks, you're off for three weeks. And what they did is you were on tracks, A, B, C, or D. So any, any of your buddies that lived in your neighborhood, they're all on the same track. So we're all off at the same time. And okay. you know the vacations were all good. The parents loved it. Uh, didn't have to worry about the three months of you know dealing with your kid at home. Uh, it, it worked out great. I mean, you, all your buses yeah. are off at the same time. The sports worked out fine, and yeah, it was it was joyous. Well, right. I mean, I guess the idea would be some people might say it really screws you up. It makes it impossible, for example, to you know work at part-time jobs or things like that. But I guess I, I don't quite follow that because you know people have part-time jobs during the school year as as well, and they're able to to make it make a go of it. I mean, oh. it seems to me that you know the employers would be able to work around that. Oh yeah, and our always after school anyway. So you just continue yeah. with that part-time job, you know at four o'clock or whenever you started yeah hey thanks for call barry now i do understand look there might be there might there might be some school districts where there's kind of like a different dynamic and this doesn't work and and so that's why see i'm one of these big believers and whenever we talk about school start times i'm one of these guys that says that that, that madison for example in wisconsin shouldn't be dictating when school starts and when school ends because different communities are different for example let's say you're talking about the wisconsin dells and in the wisconsin dells the business it's you know huge tourism industry and the businesses depend on you know high school kids for example working at the different businesses during the summer well if that was the case okay maybe for that particular district because of the unique needs and the unique nature of what Wisconsin Dells would be, maybe you don't want to have year-round school. Maybe you want to say, okay, we, we want the kids off in summer so they can essentially work full-time. At least that's a, a factor. In other school districts where maybe that's not as much of a factor, that the um, the economics aren't built around kids working during the summer. And the truth of the matter is, fewer and fewer kids you know, work, quote-unquote, full-time during the summer anyways. So, but I, I mean, I appreciate that there might be certain school districts where it, it's a different concern because of the bigger part of the community, and maybe those bigger community concerns outweigh whatever educational advantage there would be. I just kind of think about it personally, and I, again, I, I, I love the vacations, and I know people are sitting there thinking about, hey, we've got a vacation coming up, but to the extent, like the last caller was talking about, to the extent you're saying, okay, maybe nine weeks, weeks on and then two three weeks off or whatever same amount of school but a more constant sort of process I, I think it has some merit and I don't think that we should be automatically saying let's not do it it's 125 this is Jeff Wagner welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ Welcome back to the show. Again, we're broadcasting live. A bunch of people just keep walking by and waving. That's what we're supposed to do. We are out at the Century Store in Delafield right off of Highway 83. I'm looking at I-94 right now, part of Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. This is our last 
remote broadcast collection effort of the year. It all culminates two days from now at the Capco location in Grafton. We appreciate all the different toy donations and people who've made cash donations. We raised a couple thousand dollars yesterday just in a quick one-hour radiothon. All right. Um, the... We don't know the numbers for the Affordable Care Act sign-up. Um, the, the deadline is, is coming up or is, is just passed for people who've signed up for 2020. This is Obamacare. But we, we do know the numbers for the last couple years. Here, here's kind of the deal. Um, of, of Well, let me just give you the overall numbers. In 2017, about 243,000 Wisconsin residents statewide including about 39,000 in Milwaukee County, enrolled for in those health care exchanges for Obamacare. Right? This year, 2019, the statewide number fell to 205,000. That was a drop of about 15%. Right? That was more than twice the national drop, which was 6.5%. In Milwaukee County, the number of enrollees in 2017, again, about 39,000. It dropped to a little over 28,000 in 2019. That was a 26% decrease. So what you're seeing is, and again, I, I don't know what the numbers for 2020 are going to look like. My guess is they're going to continue to decline because that's been you know what the pattern has been here. All right, so here here's what the issue becomes. Why aren't people signing up for Obamacare? Is it because more and more people are getting jobs and they're getting um, insurance coverage through their employer, which is still where the vast majority of people you know, get their insurance from? Is it because, I don't know, more and more people are qualifying for, say, Medicare or something like that? Or is it because there's a problem with the Affordable Care Act that makes it undesirable for people to want to to take it. Um, before the Affordable Care Act, they estimated that about 550,000 Wisconsin residents didn't have health insurance. That number has dropped dramatically. But still, there are people opting out of Obamacare. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My Now, I will tell you, I know people who have coverage through Obamacare, through the Affordable Care Act. The vast majority of the people I know are folks who are in their late 50s or their 60s, who have maybe taken like an early retirement or, or maybe they lost their job or whatever, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to bridge the gap between... Uh, to, to get to Medicare, essentially. That's what they're trying to do. And, and so that's what they're in for. I know that there's other like lower-income people that are there as well. But I will tell you that the complaint I hear a lot, and one of the reasons that I, I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction with, for example, the Affordable Care Act, is because the premiums are, in general, high, and the deductibles are enormous. There's a lot of people that are still simply saying, I'm not seeing the value in this because it costs me X amount of dollars, and then I have to have huge medical bills before I get over the deductible, and I just don't think that's going to happen. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So what's going on? 
we have all these conversations about you know health care and things of the like. You've got the Affordable Care Act, which was billed as this is going to be our solution to problems. But at the same time, if you look at the real numbers, there are people that are just saying no to this. What's the problem here? Why are people dropping out? As I say, people I know who have the coverage and continue the coverage, their big complaint is they say, hey, we're never going to be able to cash in on the coverage because the way it works and the way these things are with deductibles, it's just we're, we're, we're buying it, and, yeah, we're getting the catastrophic coverage in case that we ever get diagnosed with something that's really, really terrible. But for everyday health needs, it's like throwing money away. Is that really the case? 414-799-1620. If you were part of this or if you know people that are part of it, what's the biggest problem and why might people not be taking advantage? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, at least for a couple more days. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, now this is what this event is all about. I have in my hands, all right, well, here's the note. To Jeff Wagner and WTMJ staff, Kids to Kids Christmas staff, from Guy Novotny and the staff at Novotny Deli Provisions, local distributor of Boar's Head brand products. Okay, they just brought us over a tray of sandwiches. Jeff, enjoy these fresh sandwiches from Albrecht's Deli Department made with Boar's Head premium quality meats, cheeses, and condiments. That's the free plug there. We appreciate your support of this great charity, especially while you're seated in a slightly heated trailer. Yeah, that's exactly what we're in. We're in a slightly heated trailer. In consideration of the good cause, encloses a $100 donation for Kids to Kids Christmas toy pro- uh, purchases. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all. Well, thank you very much for the sandwiches. Thanks for the 100 bucks. And Yeah, we are in kind of a slightly heated trailer it's um that's okay that's okay 414-799-1620 i am fascinated by this this number about obamacare because the number of people who sign up for the affordable care act are dropping dramatically the people that i know that use it again are people who are trying to bridge the gap between retirement and um and and eligibility for medicare 414-799-1620 let's start with dave in mequon dave you're first good afternoon Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. So a couple of things. I'm going to throw a few theories out there. Number one, the penalty has disappeared. Trump signed GOP. They got rid of the the insurance penalty for not having insurance anymore. That's number one. Number two, the scope of the actual plans, of the current plan, the networks are getting so small it's ridiculous. I actually found out. So the, the, the choice is where people. So what you're saying is where people can go to get coverage. Yeah, uh, it's just so it's was, yeah. So living in Ozaki County, I'm only allowed to go to Freighter, and which is they have like a, a mini micro hospital, and Columbia St. Right. Mary's, which is that's it. If I go to Aurora, I'm considered out of network, and unfortunately right. for me, I actually took her. Uh, we had an emergency last year, and she was considered out of network. I didn't realize we were out of network because of the previous plan we were in network. And so I'm actually considering, because I'm self-employed, of you know either having her or myself you know look for uh, a company that actually offers uh, better insurance um, than you know currently with the ACA, or we could get a non-compliant ACA. Uh, but 
you know, the, the problem with that is if you do have a, a, a bigger issue, you are going to get hit with the deductible. But at least the premium is substantially less than what you're currently paying for an ACA plan. So there's right. a lot of um, I mean, Well, there, there are. No, thanks for the call. There, there's no question that there are. And I, I think what's happening is a lot of people are looking at the details of these, and they're saying that this it, does, it doesn't work. Here's the text, Jeff. I'm a 31-year-old single healthy male. My employer doesn't offer insurance. The Obamacare quotation is $280 a month with a $7,500 deductible. Um, you know, it, it, just, it becomes unaffordable. So, I mean, $2,800 so a month, so you're talking about, what, like $3,200 a year, and then a $7,500 deductible before the insurance comes in. So you're out of pocket, you know, going on $11,000. Now, again... I, I see. I understand that thinking. A 31-year-old guy who thinks that okay, I'm I'm not going to get a catastrophic diagnosis. So, is it worth eleven thousand dollars a year? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Debbie, Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Uh, yes, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. My husband and I are self-employed, um, so we you know obviously have to get our own insurance. Um, and we were on the uh, on Obamacare. Um, we were one of them that actually made about $100 too much uh, the next year in income, so the subsidy went away. So our premium then went up to $1,900 a month for our insurance, which is not affordable. 19, okay, I'm sorry, $1,900 a month That's times what I'm paying 12, right now. so yeah. 19. <laughs> okay, yeah. so you're, you're, you're north of $22,000 a year for insurance, yeah. okay? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, okay. when I did my taxes last year, we made, you know, just like I said, I, if it was $100 more, um, we ended up, you know, you, you owe back the money that you were getting as the subsidy, which made it affordable. Um, but it was not right. affordable when it comes down to the, to the bottom line. So I even checked on going off, um, you know, off the marketplace, and we're still at about $1,500 a month, which is just not doable. And what were your, I mean, what were your deductibles? So you're, you're twenty two thousand dollars a year in premiums, and my guess is, on top of that, um, what seventy five hundred or so? Seventy five hundred, yes. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, there's <laughs> so, no way, you know, you, you there's no way. <laughs> I mean, it's more than my my house payments. You know, it's it's just not not affordable. Oh, oh no! Well, and that, that's a fact. And, and of course, and, and you understand—I I can tell you—I mean, you understand the importance of having insurance, and you want the catastrophic mm-hmm. coverage. But you're—you're you're, you're talking about between your premiums and your deductible. I mean, my quick math is—you're you're near thirty thousand dollars before you start getting paid for any sort of claims. That's right. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, what, we what had needs? To, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, you right. Fortunately, you haven't had to had have that catastrophic situation. Right. But right. you know, for day to day, that's a that's a lot to ask. What what should happen? What would be the perfect scenario for you? Um, I'm not I'm not really sure to be honest with you. Um, you know, I guess the cost of healthcare is you know just keeps going up. If that can be controlled, maybe you know these premium issues and and things would be would be you know taken care of or or at least lessened. Um, I'm not really sure. Right. Right. Got it. No, thanks for the call. I, I mean, th- these are all, I mean, I guess I was just intrigued by this, and I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to have the answers, and I understand that sometimes people tune into the radio hosts to have all the answers. It To me, it, it's it's not socialized medicine, all right? I, I, I understand that, but the the, the biggest and, and this is see one of the issues that, that's out there. I believe that most people who get their insurance through their private employers, 
are are satisfied as a general rule with with what they have. Now, I mean, I, I understand that there's issues. Nobody likes to pay insurance premiums, and you know, nobody likes to pay copays or things like that. But I think most people that get their insurance through their employers, I, I think they're in general they're they're happy. They've got enough choices that are out there. The problem we've seen with the Affordable Care Act is it's one thing to look at it on paper, but it's another thing to look at it in practice. And you hear these stories from folks who are talking about, like our last caller, Debbie, who's talking about, hey, you know, the the premium, it's, you you know, it's 20-some thousand dollars a year for our family, and then it's another seven grand before, you know, before the deductible is even gone. And, you know, you just, it, it becomes an unsustainable type of thing. That, to me, is not a justification for saying, okay, we're going to blow up the entire system and we're going to go to universal health care. It is, however, a recognition that we need to figure out a way to get people like those who aren't eligible for coverage through an employer, get them affordable types of care along the same range uh, as people who are, in fact, you know, employed through their employers. And you, that's where the problem is, and that's where the balancing is. Is it a justification for blowing up the system? No. Is it a recognition that what we have now isn't working? Perhaps. This is Jeff Wagner, back with more in just a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Well, I, I don't know. It, it's it's tough to sell, tell because there's now conflicting reports. In 2012, the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County came up with this idea that, you know, maybe when we have prime lakefront or near lakefront real estate, maybe the best use for that isn't an aging bus depot. Now, this is something that I could have told you 20, 30, 40 years ago, because right across from Summerfest, um, Lincoln Memorial Drive in Michigan, first it used to be an, an open-air parking lot, and then then we decided to build a bus turnaround, a bus depot on this space, and that just never made any sense at all. We're talking about the area right across from O'Donnell Park there, and you notice it when you go down to Summerfest or the ethnic festivals. So they came up with this idea that, here, let let's... Let's have a giant high-rise building. We'll have apartments in it. It'll be multi-use. We'll have some businesses. We'll have retail. Great idea for this. The problem is that the developer that they intended, that they entrusted this with, has never been able to come up with the financing, hasn't been able to get enough money together to satisfy different needs, the federal government, for the federal government to come in and give loan guarantees, which has always been kind of a troubling thing because if you... Even with the sweetheart deals that were handed out, the fact that the the property was sold by the county for way below market value, the fact that you have all these political figures who've been encouraging this and saying, hey, we need, the, the building's going to be called the Couture, and it, it hasn't come to fruition. They haven't been able to get their act together, and year after year after year has gone by. Well, there's some reports out there now saying that maybe they, they've finally gotten the financing together. You know, we'll, we'll see. Clearly, that space needs to be developed. It needs to be developed for a number of different reasons. The bigger issue, though, is you know, whether or not you know, we, we've backed the right horse, whether or not after six or seven years of jerking around and trying to get this project underway, whether or not it makes sense to continue with the developer who hasn't been able to get this done for the last five, six, seven years, 
or whether it makes sense to say, all right, look, we, we can't continue the delays. And like I say, the reports are that maybe the developer has finally gotten enough private interest that he can come up and meet some of the loan guarantees. I hope that's the case because it is absolutely absurd to have that space sitting vacant shouldn't have been sitting vacant for as long as it's been sitting vacant. This should have been done a number of years ago. And I think at some point in time we have to say, all right, if this isn't going to happen, and if you really can't get this done in the next 30 to 60 days, it's time to move on because that's too valuable a piece of real estate to allow to just sit around. And if the developer that's trying to put it together actually can't get it finished, well, maybe what we need to do is move to somebody who really can. Hopefully it won't come to that, but my gosh, this started in 2012, it's now 2020, and it's still a vacant lot. That's unacceptable. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. It's Kids to Kids Christmas. We're on the road in Delafield. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Once again, we are on the road. We're in the sort of semi-heated big talking box located at our mobile broadcast facility that does not have heat. Um, and other than a space heater. Um, and we're broadcasting live. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. We're outside the Century Store in Delafield. Lots of people stopping by. The toy bins are filling up. Matter of fact, a lady just walked by with a toy. We appreciate that. If you come out, they're also... Um, Selling toys right inside the store. And, of course, we, we take donations of uh, checks as well and getting several of those. I appreciated it a great deal. All right. I, during, uh, I was listening to Greg's sportscast, and, of course, this is the winter baseball meetings, and I, I'm a huge Brewers fan, right? I, I've got one of the 20-game season ticket packages, and <clears throat> I understand that people want to give, like, the general manager, David Stearns, you know, he, he's earned a right to, you know, get, uh, I mean, some credit and perhaps a long leash. But I, I just look. I mean, Garrett Cole goes to the Yankees. Steven Strasburg goes back to, you know, Washington. Anthony Rendon signs with California. Mike Moustakas, our third baseman, leaves to go to Cincinnati. Yasmani Grandel leaves to go to uh, Chicago, uh, the White Sox. Uh, Drew Pomerantz leaves. Jordan Lyles leaves. And what's the big Brewers news? They signed a pitcher who's been pitching for five out of the last six years in Korea. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I understand David Stearns deserves some credit, but you know what? The value of the Brewers franchise has gone up dramatically over the course of the last 10 or 12 years, so... Uh, you, you want to be smart, but at the same time, you got to put out a winning product. And lots of people leaving, um, uh, I don't know, you can argue about who they've been replaced with. And um, We'll give David Stearns the benefit of the doubt, but so far this has not been a great offseason for Brewers fans. All right, there is a new Marquette University Law School poll that is out. Now, again, I know that there are a lot of us who have been burned by pollsters in the past. There are all sorts of problems with polls. Polls, it's just, it's difficult. People lie to pollsters. It's difficult to get people to respond to pollsters. There are all sorts of problems. Now, the Marquette Law, University Law School poll, for years and years, was viewed as the gold standard of polls. Um, they, they've, they've been spectacularly wrong in a couple instances. But in general, in general, as polls go, 
I, I think it, it's they have a de- certain degree of reliability. Now, last month, they polled on issues related to impeachment and to President Trump, his reelect versus you know some of the leading Democrat candidates. And I admit I was a little bit surprised by by the way the numbers came back because. It was it was very much anti-impeachment and and pro-Trump, and I thought, okay, well maybe maybe this is an aberration. Maybe you know you got too many Republicans or too many Trump supporters, etc. So I was very very curious to see what what the numbers would be like when they polled this month. For example, in November. Forty percent of Wisconsin registered voters said they should that President Trump should be impeached and removed from office. Fifty-three percent disagreed. Forty percent to fifty-three percent—that's a a pretty strong number against impeachment. All right, the new numbers out this month are essentially unchanged. Forty percent said the president should be impeached and removed. Fifty-two percent said he should not. So it's essentially unchanged from year to year, unchanged from month to month. Now, when they did the head-to-head matchups, um, the the numbers have slightly tightened. President Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden, leads Trump forty-seven to forty-six. That's within the polls' margin of error. Trump. Uh, leads Bernie Sanders 47 to 45. He leads Elizabeth Warren 45 to 44. He leads Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete 43 to 44 to 43. So that's all within the margin of error, showing a close race, which is what I believe Wisconsin is. But the staggering number here is for the second month in a row, you have an overwhelming number of Wisconsinites who aren't buying into the impeachment thing who don't believe that the president should be impeached and removed. And included in that number, because, for example, these aren't all Trump voters, because if you look at the numbers, <clears throat> you'll see you know, Biden has 47%, whereas the support for impeachment is 40%. So that tells me that there's a number of people who are inclined, or at least think at this moment, that they vote for Joe Biden, who don't subscribe to impeachment. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are a number of Democrats in the House of Representatives, and we've talked about impeachment before. The president is not going to be removed from office. That's just not going to happen in the Senate. But there are a number of Democrats in the House who are apparently getting cold feet on the impeachment thing. The latest was a guy named Jeff Vandrew, who announced yesterday that he's going to vote. He's a Democrat. He's going to vote against articles of impeachment. He represents a district in New Jersey. He says, look, I just don't see anything worthy of actually taking a president out of office. I'm concerned about splitting the nation apart. He says he believes there are other mechanisms for removing a president for office, specifically the election that is coming up in next November. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I continue to believe that, first of all, regardless of how you feel about President Trump, I believe that impeachment is not warranted. It's not. Secondly, it's not going to happen, so it becomes, at least removal from office, becomes an exercise in futility. But third, you look at these poll numbers, and again, I understand this is just Wisconsin, but 
you know, it's not California, it's not New York, but in a swing state like Wisconsin, I continue to believe that pursuing an impeachment strategy will have a backlash which is going to serve to benefit President Trump, just like the overreaching by the recall movement against Scott Walker in 2011, I think benefited him. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is this going to backfire? Is impeachment going to backfire against Democrats in Wisconsin? Because these polls, again, this is not a nationwide poll. This is a poll of Wisconsinites, registered voters in Wisconsin. But registered voters in Wisconsin are going to have a disproportionate say in who the next president is because... Certainly President Trump, I don't think, can get elected unless he can figure out a way to carry Wisconsin. And right now, right now, the impeachment move is certainly working, it seems, believe it or not, in Donald Trump's favor. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will this backfire against Democrats by going ahead with impeachment, at least in Wisconsin? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand the, these aren't the numbers that some people want to hear, but in Wisconsin, if you believe the Marquette University Law School poll for the second month in a row, Wisconsinites are not on board the impeachment train. Only 40% of residents say they believe that the president should be impeached and removed. 52% said he should not. Now, impeachment is a political device. And you don't, since it's politics, it seems to me you, you don't remove somebody in, in the face of overwhelming public opposition to it. Now, I understand you might do the national polls, get a lot of people from California and New York, and, and that might skew it. But in a state like Wisconsin, if you believe these poll numbers, you have an overwhelming majority of people. I mean, there, there's 52% say, no, this is this is not right. And included in that 52% are at least some people who plan to vote for somebody other than, than President Trump. And I, I think that's a pretty... You know, dramatic number that's there. Jeff, I am not a so let's go some text. Jeff, I'm not a President Trump lover, even though I voted for him. This is ridiculous. What the Democrats are trying to do, I think it's going to backfire on them next year at election time. I I agree. And again, my evidence of that is look what happened to the recall proceedings against Scott Walker. People were upset over the whole idea of the, of Act Ten. Well, okay, what ended up happening is I think Walker came out of that a lot stronger. Here's a text. Jeff, folks in Wisconsin are pretty practical. We see this whole impeachment thing as a sham and a witch hunt. I sure hope it backfires. All right. Jeff, if we don't impeach, how do we stop foreign interference? He feels like he can do whatever he wants. All right, well, here's the answer to that question. If you vote him out in November... Because this is the whole silliness of the impeachment process. And, yes, I use the word silly. You know, remember, for the last several weeks, we've been hearing all this talk about, here, we're going to have all these articles of impeachment, and it's going to be bribery, and it's going to be the Mueller thing, and it's going to be Russia. And at the end of the day, okay, it's an abuse of power allegation, and it's an obstruction of justice for for, for fighting subpoenas from Congress. Well, good luck with that one. It's, you know, I think what you've seen is this political theater. And I criticize President Trump when it's appropriate. And there's also 
sorts of things he does that I, I don't think are great. And I think this particular phone call was inartful at best. Is it something that you remove an elected official from office for? My response is, give me a break. I mean, I think it's just it's getting to the point that that's crazy. And that's not to say that this is a perfect president. It's not to say that, you know, he, he shouldn't be voted out or there might not be a better candidate. But removing him through the impeachment process, I think, and I've become more and more convinced over this over the last few weeks, I think it, it really it's, it's really almost an abuse of power to try to say, okay, we're going to overturn an election based not on, gee, we have a president who engaged in a, a cover-up of, of a burglary. I, that, that's not what this was. And so, I mean, I, I think people in Wisconsin are starting to see that, even people who have no intention of voting for President Trump. So the issue becomes... Given the fact that we know this is going nowhere, how do you know that, Jeff? Well, it's going nowhere. You know, you need 67 people to remove him from office in the Senate. You're not going to get 67 votes. The Republicans have 53. You're not going to have, I doubt you have any Republican jump ship, and you might have one or two Democrats that vote against this as well. I mean, what they're talking about now is that they might even move to acquit him in the Senate, and simply not just dismiss the articles of impeachment, but but acquit him, which is entirely possible. So who knows? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. No, Hi, hey, listen, listen. I I don't think this is necessarily going to uh, hurt the Democrats. Okay. Sure. Tell me why. Because I think between now and let's say next June, even. I think uh, he's going to shoot himself in the foot with something else. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, Freddie, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. <laughs> you, you just you never know from you never know from day to day what what the cause is is going to be. And, and you know, and the other thing is, you know, the, the other thing is, even if when when this whole thing fails, I wouldn't be surprised three or four or five months from now if if the people that want to get him out are trying to find some other basis to impeach him. Well, this no. this. One's, on both sides, it's never going to go away. See, that, this will just be another hole in the dam, and when he shoots himself on the foot again, he's going to run out of fingers to plug up the dam. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I mean, you know, it, it is, I mean, to understand where we are, and, and I, if, you, if, you, if you don't understand the political nature of this, I, the, the best indication I could have is there was a story, I talked about it briefly yesterday, Democratic Congresswoman, her name is Karen Bass, out of California, she, she's doing this interview, and she says, well, yeah, e- even if this doesn't go anywhere, if he's reelected, we're, we're going to come back and we're going to try to impeach him again. I mean, this is this is where we are in American politics. It's also why I do think moving forward, we're, we're in kind of uncharted territory on, on all this. Is this now the new normal where wherever we have uh, a Congress of a House of Representatives of one party and a president of another, that now this is going to be kind of the new normal? We're going to react and we're going to we're going to move to impeachment. I, I, I hope not. But again, there's Democratic Congresswoman. She's already saying, yeah, if he gets reelected, we'll we'll be back. 
We'll be back, and if we can somehow manage to get the Democrats to control the Senate, you know, maybe it will be a different result, which is a really bad, scary thing to say for the republic, the idea that you know, we have this whole idea of, of separation of powers, but the whole notion that if, all right, you have one party, we, you know, we, we can't have divided government. You have the Republicans that control the House, and you've got the Democrats that have the White House. Okay, let's figure out a way that we can remove that Democrat president. It's it's not good for the country, and this is spoken from the perspective of somebody who somebody who who has issues with with Donald Trump. Um, but just because you have issues with him doesn't change the fact that elections do matter. Here's a text, Jeff. Wait till he's reelected, and they try to impeach him all over again. Yeah, yes, that that's. I don't think they're making any secrets of that. And that, that's one of the big plans. Well, if you can you know, take control of the Senate back for the Democrats, then it won't matter what happens in the presidential election because you can go through this whole thing again and, and take him out. Huh. Hope not. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us again. Kids to Kids Christmas. We're here till 6 o'clock. Uh, Wisconsin's Afternoon News will be here after my show ends. We are at the Century in Delafield. This is uh, one of our regular stops. People drop stop off. Actually, the, the toy bins are starting to fill up. That's absolutely outstanding. This is the 14th year for the Kids to Kids Christmas toy drive. Um, it, it's really, last year, 26,400 toys. Um, over 60,000 lives affected. It, it's really been something, and WTMJ has been part of this since the very beginning. It's something that we all look forward to ev- every year. And so um, winding down, if you're out and about in the Delafield area, stop by, see us, drop off some toys. Um, there's another couple opportunities between now and Saturday. Saturday is the big end of the event. They do it at Capco and Grafton. And um, matter of fact, I think my wife and I typically go just to look at all the toys. It's absolutely tremendous. So that is between 9 and 2, and they'll take money and they'll take toys. It's just uh, it's just a wonderful thing. It's your ability to make you know the holiday season just a little bit brighter for people who may be disadvantaged okay who do you trust and i i i I ask that question because there is a movie that's going to be uh i think it opens nationwide tomorrow it's the newest clint eastwood movie now we all understand clint eastwood is kind of a pariah in hollywood because he is one of the rarest people that you see in hollywood that is he is a political conservative so, you know, it's been amazing that Clint Eastwood, and it's a testament to Clint Eastwood's popularity, that both as an actor and as a director and a producer, he's been able to have as much success as he had. I think he's 89 years old now. I mean, given the fact that he's constantly swimming upstream because he's he's that guy that you don't want to invite to the parties because, you know, he doesn't buy into the, the typical liberal mantra. In any event, Clint Eastwood has a new movie coming out tomorrow. It's getting a lot of attention, and it is very, very controversial because of the subject matter. The movie is called Richard Jewell. Now, I I mentioned this briefly a couple days ago, but by way of background, and I recognize people of a certain age might not remember the Richard Jewell story. Back in the mid-1990s, 1996, you had these Olympic Games, the Summer Olympic Games, were in Atlanta. What happened is somebody put a pipe bomb at Centennial Park in Atlanta, and ultimately 
Richard Jewell was the security guard who found who found the bomb. And he notified the police, and they started moving people out. Bomb went off and injured people. But Richard Jewell originally was hailed as this hero because he was the guy that found the bomb and was you know, trying to save people. It, what happened is, in the aftermath of that, he became a, a target. Um, people with the FBI leaked information to a reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Why did Richard Jewell become a target? Well, because... He was a suspect because he he fit profiles of like a lone gunman, like a lone bomber. The guy, he lived at home with his mom, et cetera, et cetera. He fit all these different characteristics. And so the FBI started to zero in on him, saying, okay, maybe it's the guy that found the, the bomb. Maybe he's really the one that planted the bomb. And that's a theory sometimes people work on. And so then what happened is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and one particular reporter um, in, in really a shameful moment of journalism, they wrote these stories, again, relying on that sort of leaked information from the FBI, and they really ruined Richard Jewell's life. Because you know what? He was a hero. He was not the guy. He was not the bomber. They found the bomber later on. He was the guy that really did see this, saved a whole bunch of people, but his reputation was forever, forever tainted. And there are a lot of people who were of a certain age back in 1996 when this happened. And you could go to them now and you could say, Richard Jewell, and they their answer is going to be, oh, yeah, wasn't he the guy that planted the bomb in Atlanta? That Because you, you just... You remember this, but you never remember, okay, you remember the headlines, but you never remember the rest of, of the story. In any event, this this is a dramatization of that story. It's not a documentary by, by Clint Eastwood. And what, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but apparently in the movie, what happens is the reporter for the newspaper she is shown sleeping with the FBI agent, who's played by John Hamm, the guy from Mad Men. And, you know, it, as part of, of that, that sexual relationship, that's how she gets the information that then, you know, is used to tarnish Richard Jewell. So I, I don't know if that's accurate or not. And like I say, the female reporter has passed away. The Atlanta newspaper is just completely bent out of shape about the fact that, you know, they're depicted in this particular fashion. They defend their reporting, et cetera, et cetera. So this this the reviews of this because it is a full on takedown of of a newspaper the, the mainstream media you're you're getting a lot of blowback and a lot of the theater a lot of the movie reviewers are going after it talking about how hey this is you know, okay, th- this might not have been a perfect way. This might not have been handled perfectly. And yes, Richard Jewell might have been a bit of a victim, but the Eastwood movie is over the top, and you shouldn't make reporters look bad. Blah de blah blah de blah blah de blah. And it does make reporters look bad in much the way the old Paul Newman Sally Field movie, Absence of Malice, did a number of years ago. But I think one of the things that's getting so many of the the critics is so bent out of shape is the fact that. This is a movie whose message they are afraid will resonate with people because we have this era of fake news. And I, I've said this before. I don't, think the, I don't think newspaper reporters or TV reporters are the enemy of the people. But I do think that there's a lot of bias that's out there. I think there's a lot of times when people who are supposed to be objective 
just aren't. I mean, I look at the coverage of President Trump in, in the New York Times, for example. The New York Times, their online circulation has gone through the roof. It's gone through the roof, though, because it's mostly people who don't like President Trump. And they go to the New York Times because they know that nine out of ten articles that are going to be written about President Trump are going to be written with a negative spin. So it's not just journalism reporting the stories. Instead, it's, all right, well, let's give our audience what they want, like what Fox News does like what MSNBC does, like what CNN does. But it demonstrates, that I think, that there's a fundamental lack of trust in a lot of the stuff that's going on in the, in the media, conservative media, liberal media. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a really simple question that I'd like to discuss. We only have a few minutes. Do you trust the media? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because like I say, you look at this story, this movie that's coming out, this Richard Jewell story, and, and you have, it, it will depict a biased media that decided for the purpose of selling newspapers and sensationalizing things, they were willing and did destroy a guy's life. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That will resonate, at least with some people, because I think folks will believe that what happened to Richard Jewell is happening now. Do you trust the media? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Crew is lining up the calls. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Before we go to the phones, let me just share a couple of our texts. Sorry, Jeff, I lost trust with all types of media outlets. Jeff, I've been a career police officer for 37 years. I stopped trusting the media a long time ago. Welcome to my world. Jeff, overall, 95% of the time, the media gets it right. By media, I don't mean self-acknowledged entertainers like Hannity. Um, 414-799-1620. Absolutely not. Nope. All right. Uh, Tom in Wales. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Yeah, I just, uh, I've been involved in, on and off in a lot of different things in Waukesha County. Uh, I see it from a local standpoint, but also a national standpoint. The news media portrays things for their audience, whether it's to sell to the audience or to meet their corporate owner's demands. Mm -hmm. You can see it. Unfortunately, I grew up in a time where you could learn to analyze news, to look at all sides of a story and make your own opinions. I think they push opinions for both reasons. I think it's wrong. We don't have people thinking anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, again, the best example I can give nationally, again, I go to the New York Times. New York Times doing very well in the era of Trump and online subscriptions because they're writing to an audience that doesn't like President Trump. And I I read the New York Times, so you don't have to, Tom, and I'm going to tell you, 90% of the stories that mention Trump, are it's a negative tone. I mean, it's written from, if there's two ways you can spin the story, it's written from the negative perspective. And, And that's because they are catering to their audience. And I think it's bad for journalism. And I I think you're seeing more and more of that. And you can point out examples on the right as well that happen. But, I mean, I I see it on a daily basis in some of these newspapers. The the problem I think is we're we're not allowed to think on our own anymore. And it's because it's almost like a mass appeal to segmenting us into different groups 
and just playing us to that certain group, and then that group starts that groundswell that becomes our astroturf that starts a focus on something that's not really truthful. Right. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. And again, you see, I get this once in a while. I get it more than once in a while. I mean, I, I do an opinion-based talk show. And I'll have people that will call up who disagree with me who say, well, you don't have your facts right. And, and I'll say, well, what facts do I have wrong? And a lot of times the conversation is, it's not really the facts. It's just that you disagree with my conclusion from the facts, which is fair. I mean, you know, people, people disagree in that regard. But, but I think what you see more and more in the, the so-called objective journalism is you, you see that this, this bias. And by bias, I mean that, and for example, let's go back to the New York Times. You have these reporters that loathe Donald Trump. They loathe him. And, and so you're, you're going to have every story that's going to be written, even if it's something that their audience would agree with. Well, it's going to be written from a perspective of how terrible it was. And isn't it awful that it took Trump X amount of months to do this, for example. 414-799-1620. Jeff, I've been involved in small, as a small-town elected official for the last 20 years. I don't trust the media to be objective. They sensationalize things rather than being factual. Robert in Lake Geneva. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, good afternoon. Um, yes, I definitely believe that uh, the media is biased. And it's not just MSNBC and CNN. It's ABC, CBS. Um, they refuse to... Uh, to broadcast the opening marks uh, from the yesterday's um, impeachment, which was all you know positive for for Trump, and uh, they just refused mm-hmm. even to to broadcast it. So they're strictly one-sided. And I read the Chicago Tribune every day, and there's one writer, John Cass, who will be more positive right. than anyone else. Every right. other writer is negative against Trump, just guaranteed every day. Right. They just beat up on him constantly, and I I just don't get it. It's like. It's all, I'd say, 99% anti-Trump, whatever I read or whatever I hear. It's just, I, I think it's kind of scary, to be honest with you. Well, thanks for the call, Robert. Now, again, I think you have to make a distinction between the news reporters and the columnists. I know exactly what you're talking about because I read the Chicago Tribune as well. Now, it's one thing, and yet, yes, they have an overwhelming number of liberal columnists, and that's okay. I mean, what I do is a, is a show of personal opinion. Mine, mine is sort of like an oral, it's the equivalent of, a column in in a newspaper. So that that's kind of the way that works out. It's where you have the so-called objective journalists who are supposed to be reporting the news. That's where you see the bias. And by the way, the numbers are out. CNN's numbers are cratering, just absolutely cratering. And I don't know if that's because people are tuning out to the impeachment or because people just aren't with them as they decide to push their agenda. But, but mark my words, we're, we're having this conversation now because after this, and I don't know how much business this Richard Jewell movie is going to do, but if it is a success, and that's an if, you, you want to see people, media types, just kind of circle the wagons. You're going to see it big time because, like I say, I think this is perhaps the most flattering um, picture portrait of the, the mainstream media. You probably do have to go back to the movie Absence of Malice, which was just a great, great movie. Um, Clint Eastwood pulls no punches. He thinks Richard Jewell was a victim of an out-of-control media, and uh, he, he certainly portrays Richard Jewell in that fashion. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We've been here for the last, I've been here for the last three hours or so. I'm pretty much done, but Kids to Kids Christmas goes on. We're going to find out what Eric Bilstadt has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.